All right, everybody. This is Parents B. Eichler, a.k.a. The Reb. How are you today? I hope you're having a great Monday. A lot of things that are going on today, some particularly disturbing, like the story that we have now seen coming out of Mississippi. Four, four suspects, if that's what you want to call them, lowlifes, those who value nothing other than their own despicable acts of violence, those who have no boundaries, those who care not for life, those who care not for the for the lives of others, other human beings, no matter what their no matter what their race, white, black, in between. Here we see the example of those who see nothing except their own despicable acts, their own low life, their own endeavors to do nothing but to to wreak havoc in the world. And uh fortunately they were they were taken in and they'll be treated in the way that um, that those who value nothing other than destruction should be treated. And hopefully they'll be brought to justice very quickly and that people will understand that uh people like this have no right to exist in this in this world. Two lives were taken. At any rate, what can we say, ladies and gentlemen? What can we say when human life becomes so valueless in the eyes of people who have no sense of dignity, no sense of the preciousness of life. That, unfortunately, is what we see in the world around us today. And that, unfortunately, means that we ourselves have to understand the importance of everything that we do, every valuable act that we do in terms of Kiddush Hashem how important that is. We're going to be talking about some things today that have to do with the value of human life and the respect for human life and how people treat human life. This is Perez Baruch Eichler, a.k.a. The Rev. I do want to mention to um, one of our callers, Sarah, I won't mention her last name, but uh, she was supposed to get a couple of slices of pizza and a Coke, but we, uh, we misplaced her email address. If she happens to be out there, kindly just call us again or reach me at E-I-C-H-L-E-R media at gmail.com, and we want to get that out to you. This is Parrots B. Eichler, a.k.a. The Reb. The Reb with a cause, and the cause is you. The cause, well, rebelling against a, a life without meaning, value, and purpose is part of what we do, and the cause is to make ourselves as good as we possibly can be, to be the best that we can within the, the framework of God-given abilities that each of us has. I can't be you, you can't be me. As Reb Zusha said, he's not going to be asked whether he was the Rambam or any of the great rabbinic leaders of any generation. Only was he Reb Zusha that he fulfilled the purpose that he was put in this world for. And only each of us can answer that. Whether you're a man, woman, child, young or old or in between. Each of us has the own, our own mission that we're we are set here for to accomplish to be the best that we can everybody has their own innate set of gifts you may not think that you have them but truly you do if you're a mother and you're taking care of kids you have a gift of patience you have a gift of being able to guide your children if you're a father you're going out and you're trying to do the best that you can to support your family if you're um, a child you're trying to do the best that you can to get through school to get through yeshiva, to get through seminary, to get through your 
for day school, whatever it is that you have to do to get through play group, that little one. Play group may not recognize that he or she has a mission yet, but they've got a job to do. And our job is to see to it that we be become the best people we can, possibly can be. And the only way to do that is through the, the Torah HaKadoshah. You know, remember last week I talked to you about Alexander the Macedon, Alexander the And Alexander the Great, as you know, and as I mentioned, whose raison d'etre, whose whole Weltanschung, was to conquer as much as he could, to go and to take over parts of the world that nobody had conquered before. And that was his mission, as he saw it in life. And he one day came to a city called Cartagena, which was inhabited entirely by women. And what he did was, come to the entrance of the of the city, announced that he was going to attack it and get ready to conquer it, take it over, when they sent out a representative who was a woman because the city was inhabited only by women. Now, you remember the story, and I'm telling it to you for a reason, again, because there was an insight which came to me which made it even more abundantly clear as to what you and I can take out from that story. But just the Reader's Digest version that he he stopped in his tracks, literally, as... A woman representative came out and said, what are you going to gain by conquering our city? If you win, what will that be for you? How will that be a feather in your helmet, as it were? After all, you, you, you come against a city of unarmed women and defeat us, so that, that's not exactly the greatest testimony of a great warrior. And if you lose, then it's going to be an embarrassment for you that you lost against a city of unarmed women. So how do you see that as a victory for you? It's a totally lose-lose situation. So he thought about it and decided not to conquer, not to invade the city. But not only that, but the amazing thing was, Reb Chalibowitz points out in the words of Chazal, that not only did he not invade the city, but he announced to the entire world with a placard outside the entrance of the city that said he, Alexander the Great, was a fool till he came to the city inhabited by women and learned wisdom from them. Now, could you imagine... Could you imagine the president of these great United States coming to your town, whether it be Flatbush or Muncie or Lakewood, Timbuktu, Cleveland, Detroit, L.A., Sydney, Melbourne, Manchester, London, wherever it is, and he says, I would like to seek your advice, Mrs. Goldstein or, uh, or, uh, or Mr. Schwartz. Can you tell me, what do you think the best thing that I should do, since I understand that you know, you're a wise person, in terms of my policy toward the Middle East, and what should I pass on to, to you know, to the party and to the country? And you tell them support yeshivas, give foreign aid to yeshivas. They're the best bet, the best hope for Israel and for really the rest of the world. They have people learning Torah, so then that's that's really what's going to ensure peace. He says, you know, I didn't think about that, but he now decides that he's going to uh, encourage Congress to give large doses of foreign aid and private money, corporate money, to support yeshivas in Israel, because that's really what is going to bring peace when people are learning Torah and the Jewish people are doing what they're supposed to do. And then he announces it to everybody through the major media and social media. Okay, I know what he's saying. Are you kidding? Have you lost your, lost your mind? God forbid. Do you think he would do that? Unlikely that he would ever make a decision like that. And if he did, you can be sure he wouldn't go say, well, he heard it from a, uh, a group of... Uh, 
very charming, wonderful people that not were happen not to be members of his cabinet. They happen to live in Borough Park or Flatbush or Cleveland or Lakewood or Muncie or other places that we said unlikely, right, that he would ever do that. But that, in effect, is exactly what Alexander the Great went and did. He made a decision, changed his mind, changed his path, changed his course of action, changed his life, changed his military strategy, and then announced it to the entire world publicly so that you and I are even hearing about it today. And Rabbi Chenech says that was the greatness of Alexander the Great, was that he changed his whole mission in life and his whole approach to things. Why? Because he learned something valuable that he now wanted to incorporate into his life, that he now wanted to utilize in his life, that he wanted to make part of everything that he did, part and parcel of his very existence. And now that you and I are learning about it, we learn from that, that when a person is learning Torah or encouraging somebody to learn Torah, so Torah is the ultimate, the quintessential Chachmah. It is the divine wisdom that HaKadosh Baruch was imparted to us. And therefore, one who learns Torah becomes transformed by it, and it makes us change if we're willing to invest ourselves into it. Now, this is really the part that I'm getting to that was so eye-opening to me. I came across something by Reb Shimshon Raphael Hirsch, and also I saw it in, um, in, the, in the Chumash, in the Stone Chumash, which brings down a Ramban. They say basically the same thing, which is that the Kahanim were giving over to the younger Kahanim and other Kahanim, something which they had to internalize. And that's why it says, Emor and then Amarta Lehem, Emor and then Amarta Lehem. It uses a double Lushan, a, a, um, a plural, or rather a doubling of the language that is unusual. When repetition is used in the Torah, it usually means that it's there to tell us something that is being changed and different than something which preceded it making a change in that which preceded it. And it goes into the idea, as Rabbi Shimshon Raphael Hirsch points out, of internalizing something, that the difference between daber, to speak, and to and amor, which is to tell over, is vastly different. You can speak, but who knows who's, who's going to hear it. But telling it over, telling it over implies that that means that we, in fact, are going to, to relate it to somebody and that we're going to make sure that those people become aware of it. And not only that, but we're going to internalize it into our very, um, into our very being, into our very core. So that's what Alexander the Great was doing. And that's what I think is so vitally important about what we need to do in each and every one of our lives, which is to take something that we learn and integrate it into our lives. And I asked you, is there something that you learned, a piece of information, something was valuable that you then decided you were going to integrate into your own life. I'd like to hear from you about that, and you can reach me at this number, 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. We are going to be hearing from two people today, Rafal Medoff, who you may have heard of in a recent article that really shook a lot of people up and opened a lot of people's eyes. And uh, he's also a writer for Ami Magazine, as well as the um, Jewish News Service, a number of periodicals that he writes for. And I picked up something that he had written pertaining to pertaining to that mother, you remember, just a week or two ago, during the Baltimore riots? That's already history, right? But remember there was a, 
an African-American mother there who saw that her son, her teenage son, who you know, really was a, a pretty rough-looking character, was getting involved in the riots, and she goes running over to him, yelling at him, what are you doing here? You're in a dangerous situation. Get out of here. And she had a couple of other choice things to say to him, and then just lets him have it right in the side of the head to let him know that she meant business. Well, Raphael Madoff took note of that, but he also took note of the fact, what's the difference between a person like that and, and other parents, like those in the Palestinian territories, like the Arab parents, who, don't only, who not only don't deter their children from participating in riots that are harmful to them and detrimental to the peace process and detrimental to, to the value of life in general and specific. Not only that, but they encourage them and praise them to do that. So Reform Madoff is going to be talking about what we need to learn from that. And then, hopefully, we're going to be having the privilege of speaking to Rabbi Ari Marburger, who is a, a Dayan, who is going to be talking to us about, of all things, Ponzi schemes and other scams. And the reason he's going to be talking to us about that at this particular juncture is because there is going to be a seminar in Brooklyn, a brunch, this Sunday that's going to be addressing that. So we're going to be hearing about that. Okay, everybody. Parents B, stay tuned with us. We've got two very interesting guests coming up. Reform Madoff, are you joining us on the line today? Hello? Hi, Parrot Eichler. Hello? Hi, are you with us today? Yes. Hi, is this Reform? Yes. Hi, I was just introducing you, and I'm glad that you were able to uh, to join us. By way of introduction, Rafal, you are a um, a writer, a commentator, a scholar. You have written for the uh, the Jewish National um, News Service. You write for AMI, and you have other credentials as well. What what is your uh, your full title? We may ask. I'm the uh, director of the David S. Wyman Institute for Holocaust Studies which is based in Washington, D.C., and I'm a historian who has written extensively about, about Jewish history, Zionism, the Holocaust, uh, and related topics. Uh, you're breaking up a little bit, uh, Rafal, so let's see if we can get the phone a little bit closer to where you are. I apologize. We seem to have a very bad connection. Uh, I can't hear you clearly. I'm going to have to call you back. All right. We'll wait for your call again, and uh, um, Iran will take the call. So... He'll just call us back on another line. That'll be great. So we're going to be speaking to Rafal Madoff. Madoff, and uh, as he mentioned to you, he's the um, director of the. Um, Hello. Hi. Are we back? Yes. I'm sorry. We seem to be having a problem with the connection, but let's try again. Okay, we are connected now. So, as as a director of a, a very important institute that deals with Holocaust studies, and that's obviously something we want to talk about another time, you also have a, a hand and a role in looking at the, the current scene uh, locally, regionally, globally, in terms of how life in general is affected and things that go on in the world that should have an impact on every single human being, but particularly those of us in the Jewish community. Tell us about the article that you wrote about the um, the the African-American mother who took a very strong stand, to put it mildly, uh, to disencourage, to 
disengage her teenage son from being involved in the Baltimore riots. And then a very interesting comparison that he made to that of Arab parents who do the exact opposite when it comes to their children being becoming involved in, um, in instigating violence in the Middle East. Tell us about what the article really was meant to say and some of the comparisons that you drew. Seems like we are having a, a bit of a, a problem with the connection. Rafal, we're uh, we're not hearing from you, so I wonder if you might call in again. Let's try it again. Sometimes these things do happen where people have technical problems. Let's try it one more time. Iran, let's see if we can reconnect them again. We are trying to speak to Rafal Medoff, and we are connecting with him on the phone, and he is somebody who is a, um, a very, very prolific writer in terms of commentary, commenting on the current scene. All right. Um, Iran, why don't we just go to music until he gets back on the phone? And we'll be right back. This is Barrett's B.
Hi, everybody. This is Terrence B. Eichler, and we are reconnected. Ari Mar- Rabbi Ari Marburger is on the line with us. And um, actually, Rabbi Marburger is not only a rabbi, but he's a Zion who uh, has a very special interest. And uh, actually, we talk about not taking interest this week's partial but we're talking about an interest as in being very deeply concerned about how we abide by halacha, how we approach halacha, how we need to become aware of halacha in everyday business matters to avoid the problems that come about when people do things which are not only improper, but against the, the Torah in many different ways, or in things which they just may not know about. But one of the things that is known about is not stealing. And unfortunately, in the the world at large, as evidenced by books by Ken Fisher from Wall Street about how to smell a rat, Ponzi schemes have become all too prevalent in the world. And unfortunately, the community that we are proud to live around the world, in our own very backyard sometimes, we have seen that there are Ponzi schemes and scams which take advantage of those who do maintain that they hold a higher standard. But there are those who, for some reason, have a lapse of ethical um, integrity, for honesty. There's going to be a seminar this Sunday held in Brooklyn. It's important that you know about it because, obviously, there's something that's been going on that many of us are aware of, but not aware of how it exactly happened, what the consequences are, that we need to know about. So I'd like to introduce Rabbi Marburg of the Business Health Institute and also um, the, um, of the based in, in, in Lakewood, New Jersey, as, as well as others, where he is the job based there. I believe that's the right title. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. But Robert Marburger, thank you very much for joining us. I'd, I'd like to just ask you um, what prompted this seminar that you hold this week? First of all, if you can tell us where it is and what it is, and why at this point in time do you feel it's important to have a, con- a convening of, um, of authorities to be able to address this issue? Unfortunately, with, this, with the topic that we're discussing about Ponzi schemes and the halakhic ramifications, it's unfortunately always a timely topic. Um, it's the kind of thing which our community suffers from all too often, and I think it's important for people to realize some of the halacha ramifications of these kinds of schemes and some of the ways in which halacha differs than, than the secular law. So obviously we don't need a, a, a seminar. People don't need to come, come together just to, to hear three chashev rabbanim telling them that they can't be running a Ponzi scheme. But what we're going to be focusing on is really after the fact. There are a lot of complex issues that arise for example, when, when the scheme blows up, there are many individuals that were hurt, people who are, their savings were wiped out, and you have all sorts of questions of if there are some funds that are recoverable, who, gets, who has priority? Do we split it among all of the people that were hurt? Is it prorated based on the actual amount that people the, actually lost? Or perhaps um, do earlier investors come out first? Do later investors come, come out first? There are a host of very complex matters. It's an, it, whenever these things happen, it's extremely emotional. People are, people are hurt, both financially and, and emotionally. And it's important that in these kinds of situations to take a step back 
and really analyze what does halacha demand of this kind, this type of situation. Well, let me ask you this: What, what at this point in time would, would prompt this type of um, this type of, of seminar? Do you see that there's been a a rise in this type of thing? Has it been something which has been endemic? Has it reached a point where it's uh, unprecedented that we've seen this type of of, of scheme and, and scam? In, 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 I, I would I wouldn't go so far. It's certainly any time it happens is 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 too often and too frequent. It's you know it, it, it's it's never excusable, but it, it's really just an example an example that we chose of of an area of that Cheshen Mishpat has a lot to say about about the matter that people perhaps wouldn't be aware of, and this is it's, it's in conjunction with BHI's annual fundraising brunch, and it's just a topic which brings out the point that Cheshen Mishpat is it's a complex limud, it's an important limud, and it's a limud which is really fascinating. If people take take a few moments. And and take a look at what how halacha deals with with similar situations. So you have at the um, at the seminar from the halachic angle, you're going to be having Rabbi Chaim Kohn, who's the um, I guess the more the Oscar, the dean of the Business Halacha Institute. And then from the legal perspective, uh, Professor Aaron Tversky, who's a professor at Brooklyn Law School, and moderating will be Chaim David Zwei Bell. Can you can you give us an example of? Uh, is there such a thing as a, as a typical scheme or a scam that's been perpetrated, and what halakhic issues might, you know, specifically arise from a specific case without mentioning anybody's name, so you're not you're not saying any lashon hara? Sure. Well, well, what Ponzi schemes all have in common is it's an investment which is promises incredible returns. Uh, all too often, when it's too good to be true, it probably isn't true. But the way they typically work is that the Earlier investors are paid out their return by money that's coming in from new investors. So what happens is, is over time it feeds off each other because as time goes on, this the, the fellow running perpetrating the Ponzi scheme seems to be very successful because he's been he's building up a consistent record of returning people's money, paying out great profits. Um, so as his reputation grows as being a savvy investor and someone who can be tr- trustworthy, more and more people invest. That gives him more access to capital and the ability to continue this on a just a, a, an increasingly large scale. Ultimately, at some point, it, it can't go on forever. At some point, the fellow has his outstanding obligations, especially the, the, the interest and the profits that he's, that, he, that he's promised just becomes too great to bear, and the, the entire scheme collapses. Now, typically, when that happens, the perpetrator has some cash, some uh, some cash available. He'll have other assets that he's purchased privately with the stolen money, and you have a large group of investors that were hurt. They're all clamoring to recover their funds. And the greatest question is, how do you deal when we have limited funds? We have a small pot, and we have a lot of people putting in a claim against that money. And some of the issues are. Is there a difference between between a loan and investment, and perhaps it has a risk? Who 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 has priority? How do we deal with clawbacks? If you have investors who had come in early on and they pulled out large profits from this scheme, do they now have to pay that back? It's known as a clawback legally. Do they have to pay it back into the pot to reimburse the investors that lost money? And then finally, we we, we have a question of simply. When the, 
if they're between the investors that have equal priority, if they're if we don't have enough to pay them all back, do we split it prorated based on the amount they lost? Is it a certain amount per head? And uh, a number of you know a number of interesting situations that, that can come arise when you're trying to unwind unwind the mess. Now, obviously, the cases which you're you're talking about are not merely theoretical. They're halakha But my question to you would be, given the the scope and the um, the breadth of these schemes, how how many of these things dealing that we're considering that we're dealing with people that are in essence, dishonest, um, how many of these cases actually get debased in versus those which go to our courts, which go to the secular court, and which would lead me to the question of at what point does a person uh, have the, I, I, on an individual basis, I understand, but at what point does the base then say, no, you you can, in fact, should go to uh, the secular court? But my initial question is, um, are most of these cases brought before Basin, or do they actually have to go to to the secular courts? What, how, where does Basin, what, what, what role have you seen Basin taking? Is it something that people are actually, the, the perpetrators are agreeing to go to, to Basin? Well, we've, it, it's hard to, I, I can't give you a statistical answer of what percentage go to Basin, what, what percentage go, goes to court, but, but BHI has dealt with a number of situations. In, in Besden, sometimes it is it's the perpetrator that agreed to go. Sometimes it's simply between two victims or a group of victims that are able to access a certain amount of of assets or cash, and they internally they have disagreements. They want to know al pihalacha how what's the appropriate way to divide it. So mm-hmm. these are questions that are are, are dealt with in a Besden, and even to the extent that the that the that it goes to Arkoyis or there are, there are criminal charges pressed against. The perpetrator that, that 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 still leaves the victims with this monetary issue that they need to resolve among themselves over who gets what and what the what Allah has to say about the matter. Mm-hmm. At, at the seminar, which uh, we understand is also you know a fundraising event for BHI as as it should be, but the um, the the banner from one of the things that that you point out that people will get answers to questions that. Um, the Institute PHI has dealt with from victims, employees, and acquaintances who were shocked to discover that they were entangled in the mess. Can you give us an example of some things that uh, that may be from a victim's point of view or an employee's point of view or or how people become shocked and what are some of the questions that that they that they come up with specifically. By the way, um, Harvey Warburger is going to be at the at the conference. If you have a question now, just for a moment, because we don't want to keep him. We said we would only keep him for a very short time to let people know what it is. He can reach us at seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. If you have a question like right now that you want to ask pertaining to uh, scam or Ponzi scheme, but what will be will be some of those uh, fascinating questions that might arise? Well, as far as the employees, one of, one of the issues that comes up is you have a person who is who is innocently wor- working for this company or for this individual. Um, he was doing his job. He was not involved in the fraud in any way. And then suddenly when things blow up, he's faced generally with two issues. The first is that the people who lost money are assume that anyone involved with this company or with this individual must be guilty. So to what extent, if, the, if you have a fellow who was just doing his job, whether he was a secretary or whether he was just 
managing the office, but he, you know, he didn't have access to the funds, he wasn't aware of the scam, to what, ex- to what extent he has liability for what happened, and to what extent can the investors pursue him for, for, for their losses. Uh, a related question is, very often this, the fellow who was perpetrating the scam, besides ripping off the investors, very often uh, took advantage of, of his employees as well, and perhaps was late in their, in their salary, owes them money, owes them wages, and to what extent do employees have any sort of priority or kadima in trying to recover what's due to them? Um, a third issue that can come up, and it's really related to, these, to the first two, is can investors go after the employees with the argument that every dime that you've been paid over the past few years, although you worked hard, you may have earned it, but now we know that was all stolen money. It was all money that was being taken from us to pay your salary, and therefore, can they claw that back? Can they get demand to be repaid since the wages were, in fact, being paid from stolen money? So those are just some of the questions that come up we're going at the at at the brunch. We're going to deal with questions that have come up in the past, and there will be an, uh, an opportunity for anyone in the audience to, to present questions to any of the panelists, whatever they've personally dealt with or who they're interested in. And, and it'll just be a great opportunity for people who have questions regarding this or areas of Cheshen Mishpat to bring it up to a die-in and to get to get some very interesting responses. That's going to be held this Sunday, May seventeenth, from ten to one at the Business and Luck Institute at 1937 Ocean Avenue. Not Ocean Park, but it's Ocean Avenue. What's that off of? It's between N and O. Between N and O, right off of Ocean Avenue in Flatbush, and I would urge anybody to go because you'll become informed and it may even be very helpful. Firstly, one question I want to just leave you with, which is not directly... I don't know if it's a halakha question, and we and I, you and I have talked about it. I don't know if there's a proper venue for it, but... In terms of exoneration or attitude toward um, toward the perpetrators, let's say somebody was clearly uh, a perpetrator. The uh, the secular courts convicted the person. They were uh, convicted of uh, larceny, felony, whatever it is. The base then understood and let, let it be known that these people were were culpable and guilty. They, they made an effort or didn't make an effort to pay things back, but. There's still, while while it's clear and open and manifest that they have not reimbursed uh, completely their victims, they are still welcomed in their communities in terms of being called for liyas in the shul, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a halachic attitude toward um, how people like that should be treated? In other words, we know we don't want to ever embarrass a fellow Jew, but on the other hand, is there culpability? I've had her Pesach Crone say that, you know, why people like that being looked upon as somebody who are still bona fide, respected members of the community. Should there be an answerability? Should there be ostracization? Should there be uh, an attitude other than, yeah, everything's hunky-dory, it's okay, you ripped off people, took their life savings, but, you know, you're still welcome here. Is, is there a disposition or a correct attitude that is considered to be correct from the point of view of uh, Halakha? So in a general sense, I think it's important to realize that a goslin, someone who, who steals money, besides for the fact that he has an obligation to repay, a goslin is a, is a Russia and is postulatus. He, he's no longer trustworthy or fit to testify because he is not an upstanding me- member of the community. He certainly cannot be uh, in a Kedushan, he or a Chasna, he, can, can, he cannot be a witness. 
and it's something which has to be, the severity has to be understood, and there, ha- and there have to be consequences. Now, that being said, although a, a, a goslin is certainly a Russia, we always, the door to do tshuva is always open. And if a person does do tshuva, if he's making all good faith efforts to try to compensate his victims, he realizes what he did is wrong. So in those cases, even though he hasn't yet been able to repay all of them, if he's making a, a good faith effort, we have to acknowledge that, unfortunately, we all have shortcomings. We hope that when we do tshuva, it's accepted by Kaddish Baruch, and we have to do what we can to try to, to, try, to, try to, to forgive the fellow. But to the extent that he has never done tshuva, he's making no effort to, to repay whatever compensation he w- was given, was done under the threat of, of, of legal action or, or criminal action, then I certainly would agree with you, um, you know, we need to call a spade a spade. And the person is, was and is still considered a Russia. Rabbi Aaron Marburger, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Here this Sunday, I would recommend that everybody who can possibly go, you will uh, learn a tremendous amount and perhaps even avoid future damages and to uh, avoid being involved in the scam. And if you do have questions, this is a wonderful opportunity. It's going to be this Sunday, the Business Halakha Institute. We have 1937 Ocean Avenue in between 10 and 1 p.m. I would recommend and that you will gain a wealth of information. I would urge you to go. Thank you very much, Rabbi Warburger, for joining us right here on J. Root Front and Center Talk, Straight Talk America. This is Terrence B. Rev. We'll be back with more.
his parents be, a.k.a. the Reb. Thanks for joining me right here on J-Root. This is the station that listens to you, and parents being not just a talk show, but a listen show. And anything that's on your mind, feel free to give us a call at 718-683-5858. Sarah, if you're out there and you want to give us your uh, contact information again so we can get you those two slices of pizza and a drink at a store of your choice, uh, we'd be happy to do that. Uh, I don't know if we still have your email. But if you're listening, and we would like to be able to get you that prize for tuning in here to J-Root, the station that listens to you, and we've got great programming for you. Now, one of the things that I wanted to tell you in this week's Parsha, that's really a sine qua non, a given for anything that we do with our relations with, with other people. What is that? Well, a sine qua non. What is a sine qua non, anyway? Sine qua non means a requisite, something which is a requirement, a basic principle that we have to have in anything. One of the things that each and every one of us can do without a lot of training, without a tremendous amount of effort, is that we can feel an inner respect for other people. If we feel an inner respect for other people, our relations with those people, whether it's a family member, and I'm talking about spouses, the respect that goes on between a husband and wife, which children pick up on and see, as you might have well noticed, the respect of children for parents, the respect of parents for children, the respect of one human being to another, no matter who that person is. Feel a sense of respect, not just an outer respect, a perfunctory courtesy, as it were, but an inner abiding respect for people, which really the Torah demands that we have. And think about it. Where do you see it in this week's Parsha? Where do you see it in, in Bihar? Well, it says that a person should not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear the Almighty. That you shouldn't rule over somebody, but perach, like we were ruled over in Mitzrayim in Egypt. The yiras malakecha. You shall fear HaKadosh Baruch What does that have to do with feeling an inner respect for people? So Rashi cites the Sifra. And I want you to take this to heart. He cites the Sifra that this Pasuk is a prohibition against giving a servant work that is not really necessary. Let's say, for example, a master, somebody who's employing, who owns a, uh, a servant. He is not allowed to. He is actually forbidden to tell his servant to warm things up when he really doesn't need it. Uh, go warm that up for me, will you? But he doesn't have any need for him to do that. And the, the master could say, well, no one knows whether this is really necessary or not. No, I'm not going to tell him either that it's uh, necessary. That's a matter which is given over to his own, his own cycle, to his own heart. And that's why it says you should fear Hashem. Now, since the servant doesn't know, he doesn't know at all that the work that the master is giving him isn't really needed, so then why does the Torah prohibit it? I mean, what difference does it make to the servant? He's there to do what he's told to do, what he's paid to do. The principle that we see here is that the Torah Kedosha wants us to feel a deep, abiding inner respect for others, and that's right. 
including somebody who's working for you. Just because you're the employer doesn't mean you treat your employees like a schmata. Now, a master who gives a servant work just to keep him busy, that's, that's an expression of a lack of respect for the dignity of the person who is working for him. People are created but selim elokim and have a spark of divinity in them. And as such, they must be treated with great respect. Even if the other person doesn't feel that you're treating him with a lack of respect, so our inner thoughts and attitude towards him have to be respectful. And your inner feelings will be the roots of your actions. When you master an inner respect for others, then your entire behavior in dealing with them will be on a much higher level. A very practical piece of advice. And when we think about the tragedy that just happened in Mississippi, about the complete lack of respect for a fellow human being. I mean, this was black-on-black, black-on-white crime, right? Had nothing to do with, with, with race, as this unfortunately all too powerfully told us, just a lack of respect for one's fellow human being. And the question does arise, does a person who behaves like that, are they really Tzalmalakim, or do they lose that godliness when they behave like that? Imagine if there was just a scintilla, a grain of respect for one's fellow human being. And it does start with that. First, the respect for who a person is. First, the respect for who an authority is. And a respect for a person being a Tselemelechim. When these four miscreants gun down two fellow human beings for no reason whatsoever, cold blood, they lacked all dignity or respect all sense of goodness and decency. And that stems from a lack of respect for them and a lack of respect for themselves. Filth, debris, the lowest form of human life, who could be the highest form of human life if they embodied who they are. The person recognized that we are telling Melakim and the creation of God. When a person behaves like that, they lose that and they attempt to destroy it in others. That is why we have to be so careful about respecting our fellow human being, an inner respect which we are commanded to have. You can reach me at 718-683-5858, or you can reach me at my, um, at my email at eichlermedia at gmail.com, eichlermedia at gmail.com. We hope to be hearing from you, and we uh, hope that you're going to be enjoying listening to us. We're going to be having uh, some new shows coming up, our producer is, uh, now has in the works some great news shows for you. And if you'd like to know more about that, reach us at 718-683-5858. Ask our producer, Ron, when you're going to be hearing the news shows. And you can reach me at eichlermedia at gmail.com. This is Parents B, a.k.a. The Reb, saying thanks for joining us. The Reb, licensed by the State of Awareness, to live life to its fullest. In the words of Hillel, the rest is commentary. Now, go and learn.